Betches Media presents. I like beer. I don't know if you do. Okay. Do you like beer, Senator, or not? Uh, my party is going bat crazy. Ah! You're the pop. It's alternative facts. Oh, goodness. The Betches Sup Podcast. America! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Betches Sup Podcast, the news explained by your two funniest friends. But today, it's just me. I'm Amanda Duberman, the Sup's content editor. I'm here with Marissa Cabus, a freelance writer and political commentator. How's it going, Marissa? It's going well. Great. I mean, you know, as well as it could be in these times yeah. of ours. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So today we're talking about fundraising. I wanted to talk to somebody about this because especially lately, we've been hearing more about like Q2 fundraising. And I consider myself like pretty tuned in and aware. I like when I see a headline, I tend to sort of know like what the implications are. But fundraising and money when it comes to campaigns is kind of like a blind spot. And I don't really know how it's sort of should color my thinking about how the race is going. What do these things actually tell us? What do they mean? Do they have like any meaningful impact at this stage? Does that change as we get deeper into the race? Um, So I just wanted to sort of talk to you about what these things mean. So every quarter we hear about which candidates have raised the most money for their 2020 elections. Why do we care? What do these figures tell us about the state of the race? What is worth knowing? Well, I think it's important to understand just off the top that Um, candidates measure their fundraising by quarter. So it's, um, you'll see them doing end of month pushes because I think, you know, they record those internally and they may report them. But as far as what the Federal Election Commission is looking at, it's by quarter. So that's, um, those are really important benchmarks. So I'm sure if you're subscribed to any sort of listserv for any candidate or any sort of PAC political action committee, you probably get a zillion emails at the end of each quarter, which is, you know, the, yeah. the year is split into quarters. This is getting very in the in the weeds. But yeah. anyway, so they really want to have good numbers by the end of the quarter because that signals a number of things. Um, number one, it signals that they have money, yeah. <laughs> which is really important. Without, a money, without money, you can't have an effective campaign. Um, how you use your money is an entirely different thing, which we can get into. But having... Money on hand is the key, especially in a presidential race. You can't run some little scrappy presidential race. Like You have to have many, many millions of dollars. And so first, it means you have money. Second, it means that there is some sort of enthusiasm for this candidate, whether that's coming from individuals or from corporate money. It depends on the campaign. But In general, it is just a measure of how people are feeling about a candidate. And um, if if you're willing to give someone your money, your hard-earned money, then that means that you see something in them, Mm -hmm. most likely. Right, right. So it's, it's a vote of confidence. Got it. And so when they tell us these numbers, do we have any indication of where this money came from or the size of the donations? Because you tend to hear certain candidates sort of hawking, you know, how many small donations. So what else are they telling us in those quarterly reports that's worth noting or, or tells us something about the race they're running? So these these things are all public. There's a big report that comes out at the end of the quarter after everyone's done filing. And so you can see all the individual donors. You know, if I donate to a campaign, you can see my name in their list right. and same for any any American. Um, and then you can also see which corporations and political action committees have donated. And that gets a little bit more fuzzy because they don't always have, they don't have to disclose where exactly that money is coming from. And so it's less of an issue on the Democratic side, but um, it, it Corporate money is a thing, yeah. <laughs> and it really muddies elections. So 
the more transparency we have in elections and where money is coming from, that's why people are so into small donors right now. Democratic candidates are really pushing this. Like, I only get money from small donors because it's the easiest way to run a transparent campaign. Right, right. So it sounds like it's not, there's nothing sort of, there's not a ton that's maybe deeply meaningful of the fact that they're getting a lot of money from small donors, but what it indicates is where they're not getting as much money from, which is big donors, which just sort of has this connotation with like, dark money yeah and it's not necessarily dark money i mean it's but (laughs) everyone has a motivation right right very few people give large sums of money out of the goodness of their heart so the people who are holding fundraisers for candidates they they're doing it because they want some sort of influence so for example the day that joe biden announced his presidential campaign back in april he held a fundraiser that very day at the home of a comcast executive now what would a comcast executive want from a president oh i don't know like telecom lobbying right. and 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 things and, you know, with the the FCC to go in his general favor. Yeah, he's not interested in like raising the middle class. Right, he's not interested it. in criminal justice reform. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so um individual contributions are limited at $2800. So that's the most you can give to a candidate on your own as an individual. And so that's still a large sum of money, but there's tons of people who give that much. Yeah. So you're considered the same as any other person who gave $2,800. And if you want to go beyond that, it's sort of this um, gesture of wanting something from a candidate. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That like that sort of once you go beyond that, it means it sort of takes on a different meaning. Yeah. yeah. You up the ante. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. So Biden has not disavowed corporate money. Which candidates have? So the two to disavow corporate money are Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Um, they uh, they have been the most fervent about it. Um, the other candidates sort of in varying degrees. I think I don't think Beto is doing a ton of corporate fundraising and he disavowed corporate fundraising in his Senate campaign. But I think he's kind of backed away from that sure, a little bit yeah. because he's like, <laughs> yeah, well, crap, I need sure, money. Yeah, <laughs> totally. um, but Sanders and Warren, zero corporate money. And Warren has actually taken it a step further, which is that she's not even going to fundraisers held in her honor. She's not doing call time, which is time set aside on campaigns for the candidates to call wealthy people and just be like, hey, head of JP Morgan Chase, like, who are you thinking of supporting this round? She is actually calling regular donors. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have seen these videos online. Delightful. They are so charming. Yeah. yeah. Not (laughs) only does it like, yeah, I'm not going to take their calls, but I'm going to I'm going to put on Instagram me being delightful with like teachers in Minnesota. And it means so much to voters. She actually called a friend of mine. Really? And um and this friend of mine, she she's wonderful and she's dealing with a chronic illness right now and she um, hasn't been able to go out much and, yeah. and she's um, just going on Social Security benefits for disability. And she got to talk to Elizabeth Warren about healthcare policy and wow. about disability policy. Cool. And this was a couple of months back when like the impeachment talks were really ramping up. And so they chatted a bit about that. <laughs> and it was just like it made her so real. Yeah. And like she... 
you can't do that with every voter. There's not enough hours in the day. But just seeing her connect like that to other people, it means so much and so much more than any corporate donation is going to mean to to the voters. Yeah, yeah. And as you're saying that, it seems like it also, because fundraising is such a huge part wherever you're getting it, where you choose to get it and not getting it is also motivating who you're spending time with and who you're talking to. So if you're looking at like, a Joe Biden who's spending a lot of time at like corporate fundraisers and talking to big donors is spending less time like on the ground hearing from people who are like really affected. I'm not trying to be like anti-Biden here, but right. It's a different strategy. Right, right. It's not just like, here's where I'm getting money. It affects how you're spending your time, who you're hearing from, whose opinions you're learning more about, whose perspectives you're learning more about. And we'll see if it's effective. That's the thing. Yeah. So right now, it's looking really good for her, uh, for Senator Warren. She's rising in the polls, but ultimately she's still behind in fundraising. She is still not leading in any major national polls. Right. There's tons of time left, mm-hmm. but it's just this may turn out to be a model that's not ready to work yet <laughs> until yeah. we change the, the fundamental structure of campaign finance. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something called Citizens United. Yeah. I think people, every now and then, in like a, a discussion, some candidate will throw out like, yeah. we need to end Citizens United. Right. And like very few people know what that actually means. Yeah, do you want to tell us more about it? I would love to tell you about <laughs> it. <laughs> it's super interesting. No, it, it is actually quite interesting. Um, so Citizens United was a 2012 Supreme Court case that granted corporations, nonprofits, and unions unlimited political spending power. So essentially, it's like open season for any sort of special interest group to back a candidate. And by disavowing corporate money, candidates like Warren and Sanders are saying, we don't want that kind of influence. But if other people are still taking that money, it doesn't take that out of the equation. Yeah. So all these special interests like the gun lobby and um, defense spending and defense contractors, they're putting all this money towards Trump and the Republicans. And so it's really hard to to match that amount of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's shocking is, you know, I spent a lot of time just looking at like what Democrats have raised the most and seeing these really impressive figures. And then I read that. Um, Trump has more than twice as much cash on hand right now as the best funded Democrats. Yep. Because, yeah, when you're, you have like a pool of people who also aren't necessarily, their policies aren't always favored by the people with tons of money to burn. Although we do have, you know, our own, you know, Soros's of the, of the party that help right. us out. But of yeah. Course. Yeah. But then we also have a few billionaires who are running That's for true. president. Yeah. They're not funding anyone else's campaign. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, I have a lot of issues with Mike Bloomberg as a person and a politician, but I thought it was very noble of him to decide not to run to fund things that he actually cared about, initiatives that make sense. I mean, Tom Steyer just threw his hat in the ring. He's, um, for those who are not familiar, he's the impeachment guy. He was running all those impeachment commercials for the last three years. And as far as I know, I don't think they were very effective. (laughs) Um, And all the money he spent on Times Square billboards and, and commercials on CNN, I think about what he could have done to combat voter suppression in crucial states in Georgia and Florida and Texas. And it it makes me sick, honestly. And so... um, And now he's running. And now he's running. And he can self-fund his campaign, which is a huge leg up. And is something interesting if you really want to get into the nitty gritty of the the Q2 filings. Yeah, like you look at some of the smaller candidates who had to 
put their own yeah, money John into Delaney, it. Yeah, John Delaney, I think. Oh my God, yeah. John Delaney, what are yeah. you doing? I know. It, he got oh. like so when that's why the numbers are a little bit misleading. Got it. You look at John Delaney. I think it said he raised about eight million dollars, and then when you take a closer look, I think seven plus of that was from a loan, a personal wow. loan. Uh, from he, himself from from someone else but someone personally loaned yeah. him that money to self help self-finance the campaign so he made like half a million dollars in q2 right oh so at that point it's like john maybe you want to right out i right. don't know yeah <laughs> yeah but it's i guess not a, a ton of people take the time or know to look for that sort of thing because you know usually I think most people as- associate fundraising with like success and enthusiasm surrounding a candidate. Do you, is there a direct correlation? Do you think, or or what is the correlation? Does fundraising drum up more enthusiasm? And people think, you know, like, oh wow, like, you know, I certainly had that impression with like, I I knew Mayor Pete was had a really good shot and was up there, but was definitely surprised by his Q two numbers and mm-hmm. felt like that changed my perception of him as like a real a real contender in this. Or is it more like, okay, this does it follow from the fact that somebody's very popular and seems very favored? What, what does that, what direction does that relationship go in? Do you think it does create the perception that they're a real candidate? Yeah. So if you look at mayor Pete versus John Delaney, you're going to say, this is someone who I should take seriously, but it, it's hard to say what comes first. I think media attention has so much to do with it. Mayor Pete became this darling. I had heard of him a little bit before he jumped into the race as this really progressive mayor in a very red state like Indiana. But he's 37 years old, and um, I didn't really think he had a chance in hell. I thought maybe like a VP dark horse. Yeah. And here we are, and he is like consistently five or six in the polls, which is nothing to sneeze at as someone who's never run for statewide, let alone like federal office. Um, and so I think it does lend a level of legitimacy to to the candidacy um, in a way that um, I think the same worked for Beto when he was running for Senate. He became this sure. darling. Yeah, yeah. People loved him. He was young. He was cool. He was fun. And then he it's funny watching like him jump into the race and him flailing a little bit because I think Mayor Pete took the wind out of his sails as like yeah. the young, cool candidate because he was younger. And I wouldn't say he's cooler, <laughs> but he. People like what he has to say. He's very highly educated. Yeah, he has that new sheen on him that yes. I think Beto maybe has And, and he, he's gay. He has a husband. He's very open about it. It's a, it's sort of like this very um, 2019 type of story. And yeah. so, um, yeah, the money, it it's not, it, it sort of is a chicken and egg yeah. thing. But I do think that the money helps people who may be unsure right. to, to donate more. And it's sort of like money begets money. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember looking at how people were looking in terms of qualifying for the first debate and being shocked by how high up on that list Andrew Yang was mm-hmm. um, because people just like he has sort of unique policy ideas that people have gotten behind. And I don't know if it's necessarily elevated him, but like for that sort of whereas Mayor Pete had a lot of media that drummed up interest in money, whereas Andrew Yang, it seemed to start with like a pretty healthy pocketbook yeah and i think it's helpful to serve a specific purpose in in this crowded field andrew yang speaks to a certain kind of silicon valley type someone who's very concerned with um fiscal policy and then you look at someone like jay inslee the governor of washington his whole thing is climate change and he just hammers that home and god bless him and he is not raising a ton of money i think i saw he raised like five million dollars for q2 
However, because of his inclusion in this field, there may be a debate just about climate change. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that is huge. Yeah. And that's even maybe part of like, you know, the fundraising sort of buys things other than in the law in the long scheme of things other than just like notice and and maybe more success is like he has been able that money has allowed him to stay in the race longer and now we're actually getting a climate debate yeah, yeah. and and when you look back i mean i really don't think jay Inslee is going to be the next president of the united states yeah. but when you look back at this race and you look at his impact he's not going to have been in the top fundraising tier he's not going to have been a top polling uh candidate but he's made a huge impact yeah. if if this debate ends up happening. Yeah, yeah. And so it's not only about money. It's about what are you bringing to the conversation and how are you changing it for better or worse? Yeah, yeah. I also wonder if Andrew Yang is like, you know, Andrew Yang's a big intactivist. Yes. I wonder if he's getting money for that. An intactivist, they're anti-circumcision. Mm-hmm. And I, Andrew Yang doesn't like talk about that. I think he like said it once. Once. And it has like followed <laughs> him around and probably in a good way because there aren't a lot of people that are like, we absolutely must and I will not vote for you. But I'd be curious to see if they're just like. That's our guy. That's well, our guy. Well, anyone who's ever walked through Union Square <laughs> in uh, New York City, they, they are... Are they there? A lot. Oh, I see. I just probably ignore them because I don't talk to... I, like, yeah. try not to make... I, this is terrible, but I try not to make eye contact with, like, anybody that needs something from Well, me. you should definitely not make okay. eye contact with them because <laughs> I have seen them, like, almost gotten... Oh, like, It gets, like, really heated. <gasps> wow. And I'm just, like, you have all the issues in the world at your disposal. I'm like, this is the one I that... Know. But I guess we I all know. have our things. I know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's fair. Um, Yeah. And I was sort of reading more, you know, like fundraising does correlate to polling to a certain degree. As we were just saying, Mayor Pete raised more money than anyone else in Q2. He's not number one in the polls yet. But I was reading like there is a very strong correlation between fundraising and the person that wins. But that it's not actually the money doesn't necessarily always cause the person to win. It's sort of like what we were saying before, like the person you think is most likely to win if you are a big donor, you're going to support them. Right. Because when, I guess the idea is when they do eventually win, you, you are on record as like giving them money. Right. Um, which sort of made um, Joe Biden's like tremendous lead a lot more kind of clear to me about mm-hmm. like, why, why? Like we have so many cool people right. that are new. Well, I um, think it's really important to s- still keep in mind at this point and for the next few months really that name recognition is still the key. We're not quite at the point where it's been, we're not even close to the point where it's whittled down enough to be able to like identify everyone who's running. We need to whittle it down a lot. So Joe Biden, I think has nearly 90% name recognition nationally. And that's going to do everything for fundraising. I mean, you're not going to give money to someone you've never heard of before. And if you never heard of them, then there's, it's not even like an issue. You're not deciding to not give them money. You're just like not aware of them as a person. Right. And um, so for someone like Biden and Sanders and then um, Warren to a slightly lesser degree, people just know their names, Harris. They're, they're more household names than some of the, the candidates who are polling a little bit worse. But then again, you have someone like Cory Booker. I think he has pretty good name ID. People know him. He's been yeah. around. He was like famous for being this really uh, revolutionary mayor of New York, New Jersey. And then he became senator of New Jersey. Um, and he's not polling well at all. Yeah. 
Um, and so it's a combination of making a strong start, having a strong set of beliefs and just people liking yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. As we were talking about that, I was thinking about fundraising at, at, during this presidential race also has the effect of qualifying candidates for debates. Yes. Um, running up to the first debate. I'm sure I'm not the only one that sort of had like certain candidates sort of desperately on in Facebook ads. Like we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Yes. But the minimum was 65,000. You know, we're people that are really involved about this and like this is our world and we think about it all the time and it's sort of you don't really have a sense of how big that world is. So right. to me, 65,000 people, I'm like, you couldn't get 60, Kirsten Gillibrand couldn't get 65,000 people to give $5. Am I wrong to think that that's disappointing no, or unusual? Like, is that a massive number at this stage in the game? Well, or? if that's a massive number for you, then yeah. you're struggling. Yeah, because the next one in September is 130 right. donors. I mean, there are... 300 million people in this country, right? Yeah. And we know our voter turnout numbers are abysmal, yada, yada, yada. But um, if you, yeah, if you can't clear 65,000, like Marianne Williamson cleared 65,000. And it's like, okay, she has this built-in kind of fan base because she's a best-selling author. But Senator Gillibrand, she's a prominent senator and... uh, you hear her name a lot. Yeah, just, but then there's this whole other element of her role in Al Franken yeah. um, resigning, um, which I think is totally misogynist and unfair. Yeah. But there were rumblings that donors like Soros and um, other really wealthy Democratic yeah. donors were working against her. They were really upset about her role in that, which is just so... I don't know. Absurd is the only word I can come up with because she was not the only one standing up there. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So it's like I feel like she probably could sort of be, you know, competitive in terms of like small donations. But people that have a lot of money to give her have maybe turned their back on her. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not going to be placing ads for her. They're not going to be sending out emails. They're yeah, they're not in her corner. And so. I can't say with any sort of certainty that that played a role in her not being able to to meet the minimum until the last second. Right. But I mean, like her friend Cory Booker had to advocate for people to donate. Really? Which is amazing. To her? Yes. Wow. They're, so they're supposedly very good friends. Oh. And I love that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's wonderful. It's wonderful solidarity. Um, but the fact that he even had to do that was obviously quite alarming yeah. for her campaign right yeah and she hasn't broken one percent in any polls which is is really disappointing to me because i i think I like she's a, a remarkable senator yeah, her debate performance has been really really fun to watch awesome and just as a woman i mean she's yeah. really like a crucial voice she's speaking to that vote um, i think she was the only one that said the word abortion on yes. the stage like, <laughs> you know reproductive rights women's rights and she was just yeah. You don't hear abortion on debate stages She very said often. abortion. Um, Julian Castro, yeah. the former mayor of San Antonio and housing and urban development secretary under Barack Obama, um, he said reproductive justice for the right. first time, which was also amazing. Yeah. And everyone else was sort of tiptoeing around, yeah. around the issue. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Julian Castro um, is leading in terms of small donations under $200. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's cool to see these types of figures even being picked apart because yeah. in the in the past it was just about more and more and more bigger, 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 and now you realize how important it is to get individual people on board because they're the ones who are talking to their friends, they're the right, ones who right. are going to knock doors for you for months, right. and, uh, rain or shine, 
And um, that's going to make the difference in the end. It's not necessarily going to be how many totally. executives did you yeah, sit down yeah. with. Two, I feel like, yeah, that new that's like an interesting category to me. Like 200, that's not nothing for a lot of people. No. But it's a real indication of like commitment and motivation I mean, behind most the person. Peop- there's, there's, I'm going to butcher this stat, but it was uh, some stat fairly recently. Like if most Americans, if they had some sort of emergency to yeah. deal with, like wouldn't have enough yeah, money. Yeah, it's like somewhere between like three and eight hundred dollars. Yeah, they like four hundred dollars, and they're they're under a thousand. I think like four hundred dollars in their bank account to deal with some sort of emergency. So if you're donating even a hundred dollars, yeah, that is a huge chunk of money totally. for you. And so you're thinking really strategically, like who is representing my interests, and say you have a special interest, say criminal justice um, and police reform is important. You would put it towards someone like Castro, climate change, Inslee. Yeah. So, you know, it's um, you can be really strategic about where your money is going. Totally. So at this stage in the race, where do you think a majority of the money that candidates are raising? Where does it go? So it depends on the campaign. Um, it looks like for a few of the campaigns, it's going towards staffing. I think um Bernie and Warren have the biggest staffs at this point, or they they recently done the biggest staffing pushes. Got it. So I think Warren has more than three hundred people working for a campaign, and that's where a lot of it's going. But um, it's going to good use because she has people in all the early states: New Hampshire, South Carolina, um, Iowa, Nevada. Um, and then another place it's going for a lot of the candidates is digital. Uh, advertising, fundraising, any sort of social media stuff. So for like Harris and Biden, that seems to be um, a place where they're putting a lot of their money. And then I interestingly read that for Mayor Pete, that was only 6% of where his his money was going. Advertising? Digital. Oh, wow. Yeah. 6% towards digital. Wow. So it just shows the incredible media exposure he's gotten for free. For free. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, genius. Totally. I mean, he knows what a viral soundbite is because he's like grown up with them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He he is the millennial candidate for better or worse. Yeah. Do you think that, I mean, I am sure throughout election history, you know, candidates, candidates are often, some of them just run because they want to, but in local races, some of them are pursued by the party, right? Um, Has, has like, the amount of the potential for that a candidate to raise money, I'm sure that's a calculus when they're choosing. Do you think it's changed? That calculus has changed at all, like with an internet environment, like with, you know, they pursue candidates like an AOC or somebody that like can drum up that type of exposure that does lead to fundraising? Or do you think it plays sort of the same role? Um, it's hard to know yeah. whether someone is going to be a good fundraiser before they do it for the first time. Yeah. I was just um, listening to an interview with Tiffany Caban, who is in a contested election for Queens District Attorney in New York. Um, And she was talking about the role of fundraising. And um, she was just talking about the exorbitant amount of money that is required of you to run a competitive race. And now she's in a recount and they had to raise an additional like $200,000. Oh, my God. And they still need more. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. And she was lucky. She talked about having savings already that 
but her personal savings. personal savings that allowed her to temporarily take leave from her job yeah. as a public defender and run this campaign. So if you don't have a little money, a little nest egg, and if you don't have some sort of fundraising prowess, there's just no way it's going to work. Right. Um, yeah. And especially when you're taking on an establishment, someone who's been in office a really long time, like yesterday um, in Massachusetts, first congressional district, um, a challenger announced his candidacy against like a 30 year incumbent. Wow. Um, the, the incumbent is 70 and he's 30 years old. He's the mayor wow. of a town in yeah. the district and he is disavowing corporate money. And I think it's amazing. Yeah. I think it's exciting, but also you know, good luck. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and so there we I hope we can get to a point where that is the norm and it's not remarkable to say that and you don't have to mention it in your campaign launch right. video that you're not taking corporate exactly, money. Yeah. But for now it, it is remarkable and it's still really risky and there's a huge chance it's not gonna work out for yeah. you. Yeah, I was also thinking a bit about like looking at the fact that, you know, the most money tends to go to the candidate that big donors think are most likely to win. And the Supreme Court has just affirmed that and that gerrymandering, partisan gerrymandering is fine. Mm-hmm. We can never talk about it again. And I can't but help but think there are so many districts across the country where like, I mean, does the, like that are so rigged that the other party, in most cases it is, I don't know, actually I shouldn't say in most cases it's, it's rigged in Republicans' favor. But in some cases, so it's like that person doesn't even have a chance if the big money is like going towards the person most likely to win. So I guess at that point, it's like I might as well disavow corporate money and make this race like right. as pure and transparent as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, make the person fight for it. If, yeah. If the, the if the district lines aren't going to be redrawn, you kind of have to hope for some demographic shifts in, yeah. in your district. Right. Um, yesterday, it was actually a, a big day. A lot of challengers announced their candidacy. Yeah. Um, Wendy Davis in Texas announced she's running, which is so exciting. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people may remember her from her famous filibuster on the Texas um, State House floor. And she is just an all-around badass. Yeah, I'm excited to have her back in yeah, the Yeah, she's, she's the coolest. And so she's running against a Republican incumbent. And um, she had uh, run for... Senate, I believe, a number of years back, and I think in 2010. Um, and the demographics in her district have shifted tremendously. Oh, that's really yeah. The black and Latino populations have increased by multiple percentage points, and that's only going to work in her favor as a Democrat. So um, those are things that you have to look at. Like she's working against uh, a Republican incumbent in a red district that Trump won. But it's not insurmountable if there are other sort of things that you could look at and say, like, there's a reason for hope. Right. Yeah, totally. So if I have a thousand dollars to spend on the 2020 election, what's like the most effective? Where am I going to get the highest return? Or like, how would you spend a thousand dollars in the 2020 election? So I think you can ask a thousand different people and get a thousand different answers. Um, I think um, if what you're looking for is progressive change, like really progressive change, then local elections are crucial and they're getting totally overshadowed by the presidential. And obviously the presidential is so important, but there are thousands of other elections that are going to happen in November 2020 that need money. And so that's those are things like uh, district attorneys, races, judges, um, state legislatures, town supervisors, 
board of education, like all these things affect your life. And especially state legislators, like that's where the laws are made. That's where Supreme Court cases start. Yes. I was going to say, like, God forbid he gets another term and somebody dies on the court or steps Mm -hmm. down. I'm going to wish that I gave money to my state lawmakers that can stop another Roe v. Wade challenge from going through. Absolutely. And like you look at um, the state of New York, for example, we had a huge flip in Mm -hmm. this past November. Um, There was this sort of centrist coalition between Republicans and Democrats called the IDC. And that was um, completely blown apart. And we got all these young, not all young, but some young, um, but just generally progressive new voices into the New York State Senate and the Assembly. And we just passed a ton of really exciting new reforms. So um, I, as a New Yorker, I feel much more secure about the future because I know that we're not putting, we're not implementing these laws that are going to end up as a Supreme Court case yeah. and then yes. that are going to, you know, screw Americans yeah. everywhere. Totally. Because something that happens in Alabama, say, could actually end up affecting someone in New York because right. that's where it starts. So if you are really, if you care about criminal justice reform, it's great to have a president that cares about that. But if you care about it, at home, you have to look at what's going on with your prosecutors, your DAs, your um, your judges. Like that's where where it kind of yeah. starts <laughs> and ends um, for those things. So yeah, that's my and best I advice. am not barred from giving Wendy Davis money. You are not right. I can no. give Mitch McConnell's because I live in New York. Mitch McConnell's challenger. She raised like two and a half million her first day. Right, right, exactly. So you can um, you can give anywhere, and you can be strategic about it, and yeah. you can put together different kind of um, a mix and match type fund of different candidates that you want to support, sort of like a slate. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the possibilities are endless as far as who you want to give your money to. And I, I, my best advice is just really think about it before you just click on a DNC totally. email being like, help the Democrats. Like, yeah. no, I yeah. th- you should really be intentional about where this money is going because you worked hard for it and then you want to help elect people who work hard for you. Yeah, yeah. That's great advice. Awesome. Thank you so much, Marissa. Thank you. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you so much. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We want to get some of these candidates we've been talking about on the podcast, so we need to get on their radar, so that'll help us out. Thanks a lot. Until the end of the next this is Amanda Duberman. Bye. Betches.